Hey friends, this is Holly Goodman, and you're listening to Isaac's Autism Wild podcast, where we focus on topics related to raising loved ones touched by autism and its impact on relationships and family. I'll be sharing some of my personal parenting experiences, raising my son Isaac, who passed away in 2007, as well as an entirely different parenting experience as I now raise my son Caleb, who never ceases to blow my mind with his beautiful autism perspectives. So grab a drink and join me as I interview this week's group of exceptional autism parents. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Isaac's Autism Wild podcast. Today, I have two moms joining me who have kiddos that are in the process of launching or have already launched. I say that with a question mark on the end because Farah, um, I'm hoping maybe some things have changed in your world, but you have an adult, you're shaking your head no. Well, and this is part of the reason why we're doing this podcast because Farah, will you just give us some background on you and your child and um, your experience with um launching him into adulthood so that our listeners have some point of reference. Yes. So Chase is 23 and we, I guess, unschooled him or he unschooled himself uh, back when he was about 17, 16, 17. He got his GED and then uh, very easily and successfully. And then he has, he has taken some community college courses and he's he, he's taken some courses but he has not uh, not reco- not you know gotten any degree yet and he's not currently in school we have tried we've tried living in an apartment he 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 of course we moved him out in the middle of the pandemic which was probably not the best timing <laughs> And he lived in an apartment for about six months, and we learned a lot during that six months. And then he is now back with us. He has had a couple of jobs. The most recent one was a seasonal one, and that ended in January. So we're still looking for a job. We wanted to have him in apartment, um, so we're still working on that. And we did just, he did just get approved and off the wait list for services through the Department of Vocational Rehabilitation. So, and I will talk to you more about that when we get to it, but that's kind of where we are. So he is currently at home looking for employment and not looking for another living situation at the moment. Okay. I will come back to that because we're going to circle back on some of the specifics of that because I do actually know a fair amount because we've talked many times about it. Um, Jerry Ann, thanks for joining me. I know you're um, you probably are on your lunch hour or just dedicating some time out of your workday because I can see in the background you're at work. So I really appreciate it. But tell us about yourself and your son, Harrison. So we are um, we are at the, the verge. So Harrison um, turned 18 in December. So we've been working on independent living since Harrison was really little. So all of the choices we made for him as his parents in regards to all of the fights that we picked and everything really stemmed from the fact that Harrison is going to have to eventually live on his own or live in more independent than kind of where we are. So we are graduating high school on the 13th, at least this part of high school. Um, He qualifies for transition. And so we are accessing transition services. Can you explain the transition? 
so um, typically within the school district, um, kids who uh, qualify for an IEP um, and services are eligible to stay in public education until they're 21 um, or the school year that their 21st birthday falls on. So Harrison technically is eligible to stay in public high school or be counted as a public high school student until 2024. That would be his graduation date. However, it's kind of interesting. You've got, you know, 14, 15 year old kids and then 18, 20, 21 year old kids in a high school. So the, the, the way that at least our district has kind of looked at doing that is they usually add a third year to middle school. So where most kids would do two years at middle school, you would catch an extra year at middle school and then hit the high school level being almost 19 by the time that you would hit transition. And then you would have two years of transition. You would hit that 21 and kind of graduate out of um, public school services. So, so that's the typical manner in which things happen. So right now, um, Harrison is a senior at Ferris and he will walk graduation and participate in whatever graduation and ceremonies and end of year stuff for seniors look like. And he applied for the summer, the Pace Summer Academy, which is a employment readiness program that is put on through Spokane Community Colleges and DVR for kids who meet the qualifications for the program. So it's job readiness with an internship and a stipend. Um, so when you complete the site, when you complete the class, you get a stipend at the end. Um, at that point, he'll be off pretty much for the month of August. And then he was selected. So all the kids apply to different programs Um, within Spokane Public Schools. There are three different programs that kids can access after they can access step. They can access images and then project search. Project search is really uh, reserved for those kids who um, will age out of the system at 21. So if you're and it's a one year program. So Harrison applied for images and um, that is based at Spokane Community College. He'll go to school Monday through Friday. And it, again, is job readiness. Um, It'll help with some of the life skills stuff that he absolutely needs. Um, But Harrison is all about people and working. So right now he has had a taste by having a couple of seasonal positions, um, working on a couple of different things. He was an ambassador for the 2020 census. Um, He's worked, he's volunteered and worked a lot in the community in variety of things. So he's figured out that working means a paycheck. And so he he really likes the idea of that. And the paycheck means that I can go deposit it through the ATM or talk to the bank teller, which are things that he enjoys. He's very social. He is very. The, the best part about where we are at this point in time is, is we are unique. You know, Holly and I have known here, you know, knew, known each other for a very long time, you know, and Holly tells people all the time, you know, Jerry Ann and Harrison had the Cadillac of services. Um, and we did, but we also, you know, at kindergarten level revoked consent for special education services. My, you know, we didn't receive services again in the school district until 
he was in second grade. And that really made the district stop and look because you've got an, a, a very a, a diagnosed kid with autism not Asperger's, not, you know, the typical stuff that they're like, you know, behaviorally, but they had to figure out how to have him in a general ed classroom for three years without any services. And they would broach each year about accessing the services. And when they were unwilling to provide, you know, opportunities for him to learn those things in gen ed, opposed to being in a special ed classroom, visiting gen ed, um, that really, you know, that made all the difference for where we are today. Um, so we just, um, because Harrison is 18, one of the things that we had access to, which is really helpful, was DDA services for growing up. So a caregiver and those kinds of things. And so at 18, um, Harrison still is not able to do things that a typical 18 year old, you can at least expect to do occasionally, like be able to stay overnight alone, maybe, or be able to whip up a hamburger helper, you know, without a whole lot of assistance and stuff like that. And so we just finished up the yearly review of those DDA services. And um, for me, it was really eye opening because we've gone through a lot of, um, change in the last five years of our, our, our family makeup, our dynamic, um, all of those kind of things and going from a informal support to being a formal provider, you know, that's where we are at this point, kind of moving forward to that. But we also have, you know, I I'm blessed in a lot of ways because working where I do, I do have a lot of insight into accessing um, additional services. And I'm learning a ton about supportive living environments, permanent supportive housing, adult family homes, group, group home settings, those kinds of things. And, and really getting an opportunity to see those before we're actually going to have to look at what those options might be for Harrison in the future. Yeah. And and that's actually, so it's, it's great to have both of you moms joining me today because um, Harrison is wild. Here's the thing. Harrison is just such an, a cool cat in that he does require supports, but one of the things I love about you, Jerrianne, is, is that all along through uh, Harrison's entire like academic career, you wanted him to be in gen ed and then, but able to access the special ed services that he needed in gen ed, where a lot of families um, are utilizing special ed, and then you're spending some time in gen ed. And so a lot of his, you really have pushed for him to be able to have all of the same experiences that a neurotypical child would have, even though he required supports. And you were the mom that was like, figure it out figure it out, figure it out. And, and you know what, it forced them to figure it out. And that's when I, when I say that you have the Cadillac, you, you really advocated for Cadillac services because you wouldn't let them off, off the hook. And you wanted him to have all of those experiences that neurotypical kids get, but they don't get to have a lot of times because they are pulled out so often um, for special ed services. And so, you know, understanding that Harrison is very, advanced in some aspects because he is D, you know, so he is, his severity rating is, is enough that he qualifies for DDA. Um, so he has always received some of those extra supports. Um, when we talk about Farah, your son, Chase, he's considered high functioning and he was never eligible for DDA. Is that correct? No. Yeah, exactly. And so he would be more of your Asperger type of kiddo. So Farah, 
for, from your perspective, you know, he was able to take his GED early because school is just not his jam, just the social components of it. He was able to academically get his GED without much effort. Um, but it's just the, the social interaction of life and the social nuances and how he has to operate in a world that's really, you know, in some aspects, he's just uninterested. It's just, he has no time or interest in some of the elements of life, which is, um, you know, one of your frustrations because you want him to access and have some of those things. You know, you want him to have friends, you want him to have employment. Um, and just for clarification, Farah, he is capable. You wanted him to live with a roommate, but really Chase has the skills and abilities to have, I mean, he has independent living skills that he could live independently if he had employment that actually provided the income where he could um, pay for all of those things on his own. And the, one of the reasons why you would like to have a roommate is for the social component of it. Is that correct? Am I, am I, am I summarizing that accurately? Yes. Yes. For the most part. Now, now it, <laughs> it, it, it might possibly be a, a typical young twenties male thing that, I mean, his apartment would be an absolute disaster <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and, and, you know, a complete garbage dump, but, but sometimes that is not necessarily from that it can be from the autism, but it can also just be in a, you know, where we set our priorities, 20, 23 year old, 23 year old male who doesn't care what his surroundings look like. So yeah. I know yeah. there's, there's a little bit of all that, but yes, he, he could live independently if he needed to. I mean, he was, when he was living in the apartment, he was getting up and getting himself dressed and getting to work on time. And he was doing all that and scheduling and getting his groceries and, you know, his big thing was, was needing money. Um, and then he would, he would eventually, after a while, he did get overwhelmed and said, you know, could you come help me clean my room and help me clean the apartment? And I would go over there occasionally and, you know, get it back to a, a baseline level to where he, I mean, he feels better when it's clean. He just doesn't do it. And I know some of that is, um, like I said, some is just being a, a, you know, that's his personality, but also some of it I know is, is, is most definitely linked to the, the ADHD and the, the executive functioning and planning and where do I start and what do I do? And, do and then it just gets to a point where it's over, where it's overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, we've all been there, right? You're like, oh my gosh, I have, you know, 15 loads of laundry. Where do I start? Kind of thing. Oh, Sarah, yes. Um, I'm telling you, that is my life right now. I was just telling Anna, yeah. I am digging deep people to find and to dress myself right now because I am doing everything I can to stay on top of my children's laundry needs because I've got four kids at home and my daughter, like literally if, you know, like she tries it on or even pulls it off the hanger just to examine it, it goes on the floor. So then it's like half the stuff is dirty again. So I'm really struck. Yeah. I have to dress this week people because I yeah. didn't have any clean clothes. So I am <laughs> I understand the struggle, guys. I so, yeah, you know, and sometimes it just creeps up on you to where you don't realize that it's gotten worse and worse and worse and worse. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, I don't even know how to, where do I start? What do I do? You know, and so I know some of that is executive functioning. Some of it is just, he's not a clean person. And some of it is just not even noticing it because it's just not important to him. So, yeah. but yes. He did, he did live independently. Well, 
not financially independent, but correct. Yeah. So then geographically, yes, (laughs) geographically. Yeah. So then here, I guess, is the next question is, is that, um, Jerry, and you are one of my go-to resources when I have families or I need to feel like I, I need to learn more about systems and how to access and navigate them. I always go to you, Jerrianne, because you are phenomenal and you're always stumbling on new pieces of information and you are really good about sharing that knowledge with other families. And so I guess my question is, is that we as parents are not naturally gifted with just the knowledge of how to access all of these programs and services. And so how did you go about figuring this out? Because things that you had stumbled that you talked about today, and I want to make sure that I'm kind of making some bullet points for parents. And, and I think you, we probably take or take for granted that we just know these, but you know, for kids that have IEPs, your kids can stay into school until the age of 21 and receive transition services. So if you have an IEP, you are eligible to have that as an option to you, whereas some families may not even know that, right? Have no idea. Right. So the the deal is, is that if your child turns 21 during a school year, so school starts on August 3rd or August, whatever, 28th, and your child turns 21 on September 5th, they're enrolled all the way through that school year. They don't finish the year before And that, so, um, so that's one of those pieces as well. I think the other thing, um, system wise, I I think it just came from, from a piece, you know, I, I had the privilege of meeting Temple Grandin and her mother, Eustacia, when my kid was really little and all it takes is one autism mom, who's got a very successful autism person, person, a person with autism, you know, kind of doing something, look at you and say, even though you feel like all you're doing is just breaking through walls and digging new trenches and everything, what you're doing is right. You know, what you feel in your heart is right. And, uh, and so those are, those are the things, you know, early on, that's, that's what took it to me. I tell people when I, when I chat with young, with families who've got kids who are brand new to a school system or are really struggling and they're like, well, we need IEP help and, and that kind of stuff. I, I tend to teach people to work the IEP backwards, which is IEPs receive services for reading, math, writing, writing social and behavior, social yeah. behavior, and then life skill kind of things. So working that backwards, it's like, okay, so during reading time, you can pull my kid out. During math time, you can pull my kid out. He can go to resource, he can go to special ed, he can go wherever you want. But you're going to pull him out while the gen ed class is doing that because he's not going to miss library and he's not going to miss science and he's not going to miss social studies. And he's not going to eat in the special ed classroom unless there's a reason for it. So like if he's getting feeding therapy or, you know, is a choking hazard or those kinds of things, then it's like, okay, we're going to teach him there and then practice that skill in the regular, regular setting. So those are things that are interesting. Another little tidbit that I just stumbled on is If your child was diagnosed with a one of the nine disabilities on an IEP kind of thing and is diagnosed with autism or any kind of spectrum disorder, any of the things that are listed, they are eligible for DDA services even if they're over the age of 18. So at this point in time, in order for like Chase to be um, 
potentially be successful, having somebody be able to come in and clean toilets or run into the grocery store or do those kinds of things. So the cool part is, is that you can become a parent provider and get paid to do that opposed to just taking on that extra, you know, we, we love our kids. We're going to take them, you know, even if our kids didn't have disabilities there, you know, that time between, you know, 18 and 25, there are a lot of kids who are still dependent on their parents. You know, that that's the time they're in college, yeah. you know, so they go off and they're in this world where meals are provided and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, there's parent help in that. Um, and just because they didn't, weren't eligible as under 18, the minute that they become an adult and are technically responsible for themselves. And that is the time that some of those services can come into play. So that's something that I just recently learned. Okay. And, so can I summarize that to make sure that I understand? So Chase did his GED. So he ended up actually exiting high school earlier than his chronological year of 18. So she would have been a little bit whammied in that regard because he wasn't still in school at 18. However, like Caleb is ASD level one. So Caleb does not receive any DDA services because he is ineligible based Based on the fact that he's, you know, he's only scored as a level one. Um, right. If he stays in school and does transition services at the age of 18, we could actually find, <laughs> we could have DDA, we could actually be eligible for DDA if he stays in school until 21. Anyone, anyone who is diagnosed with a developmental delay before the age of 18 and has that diagnosis is eligible for DDA services afterwards. So even though Chase graduated with a GED and did not continue on with the public school system, doesn't make him ineligible for a different system. So right now it's, it's one of those things where it's the, the system is designed to kind of make and kind of branch out and show. So for some kids they'll access. So Caleb would probably be more apt to access like the DDR portion of things where Harrison, most of his funding will come from DDA. Caleb's may come from DVR. However, just because you exit the school system doesn't mean that you're ineligible for the other thing. Yeah, we were told that Caleb would only be able to access six months of DVR services for the span of his life is what we were told because he's ASD level one. And even we don't know. Here's the thing, you know, having kids stay in high school until the age of 21 doesn't work for all kids. And so we're kind of playing, we, we're just kind of navigating that factor and, and knowing that it's an option, but that may not be an option that we want to access at the age of 18, depending on where he is socially, emotionally, and what his goals are. And so we have to just know that that's an option and, you know, decide at a certain point, whether or not we're going to access those transition services and stay in school until the age of 21. Um, but that's interesting information. I'm gonna have to look into that because we were told that for Caleb and his diagnosis, we would be able to access DVR for six months through the span of his entire life, which is not much. And I'm sure Farah, you're probably just like, yeah, I can just tell you right now, six months flies by. And so it's, and, and I don't, I've not heard that six month limit. So that's, that's the first I've heard of that as I'm looking through my paperwork. Oh, good. Um, yeah, that would be, so I don't, I don't know. Yeah. So because they have a, because of the <laughs> autism diagnosis, 
they're eligible for DDA services because they were diagnosed before the age of 18, which is why it's really incredible that people hold on to that diagnostic paperwork and that like, you know, we get it and that, but you know, you, if your kid has just received services, but never had an official diagnosis from the doctor, you need to get that before they're 18 because that totally will make all of the difference coming in the future. And that because their DDA services are lifelong, DVR is meant to train you in order to get to a job. So at this point in time, we are um, opening the door for transitional services. So a kid who is like, school sucks and I hate it and I don't really want to go and mom's pulling her hair out and you're like, you know what? It's just great. Let's just be done because really this getting up in the morning and going and doing, if we really think about it, there are people who are going to want, you know, night jobs, swing jobs. They don't get up early in the morning and everything. So images, um, at least the way that I'm under the impression of it, is that they are tailoring to what our kid needs in order to go where we need to go. So basically, you know, Harrison would be participating until he gets a job. And then once he's at the job, then then the credit, the, the non-credit work and support comes to saving that job, keep teaching the job, all of that kind of stuff. And so he can maintain those services to till he's 21. And then um, he can pick up something like Compass or Ability or any of those that have job coaches who would go in and help them um, learn the job, support the job, whatever it is that they they need in that aspect in order to be successful. So there, it, it's definitely a learning experience. And, and I am very fortunate. I will be very, I, I'm the first person to say to you, I, you know, with my career choice, the things that I get to do on a daily basis, um, the resources that I access for people all the time, I'm learning how, you know, to kind of skip through those things. And as we're learning to skip through those things or being able to share with more and more parents about how to do them. And that, um, because it is a hidden system, it's a system that's very convoluted. Um, we're also this generation of kids, you know, Harrison is on the forefront of all these kids who are coming, you know, all these eight-year-old boys that were diagnosed, you know, every year there were more and more and more and more. And we're now reaching to a system that is now being flooded, knowing that either they're going to have to have transition services and adult services because the school stuff is going to end soon. And there are parents like you and me who are not quiet about that. We're not okay with our kids just sitting at home and kind of playing video games and watching TV. We want our kids to have some kind of purpose. And I think the other is we as parents realize we're not going to live forever and that and our, our kids are going to need some some kind of support and some kind of place to be that they find enjoyment out. The other is it's so incredibly important. I think that, it, you know, we didn't have kids in order to have to parent our entire life. You know, you find that we find you got the 80 year old mom who's got the 50 year old kid who has a diagnosis. Mom gets really sick, goes into care, dies, whatever. You got this 50 year old kid who's always been dependent on mom. That's my brother right and, now. Actually, and, I have a yeah. I have a brother at home who is. Yeah. 47 and, and, and he's living with my 80 something year old parents. Right. And yeah. so mom dies, 
And then it's like, what do I do now? So then they either end up preyed on, they don't know what to do. They ended up in foreclosure, eviction, you know, um, they end up with adult protective services, you know, those kinds of things. And, and there are a lot of, I love my kid. I really do. But I also, you know, thought that I was giving birth to a child who would, you know, by 25 kind of live on his own and, and, you know, have his own life and all of that kind of stuff. And, and I wanted to travel and I wanted to do those things. So while I know that that's not popular and a lot of, I may get a lot of flack from other families, but, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that it's okay that my kid's going to need either supportive living, which means he can live in a group home. He can live in an apartment with supports on his own. He can live in the house that we live in with supports as well with me. But I can't and I don't want to be the parent forever. I really want a relationship of an adult child with a parent, you know, where my my son is doing things that he loves without asking me to fix it, or I've got to go drive him, or I have to navigate those things for him, you know? Um, and, you know, that that's a hard piece, you know, because people are like, but, you know, but, 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 and it's like, you know, it, it's hard. Yeah. Can I, it's also something I've been telling people from the beginning, you know, it's like, look, you know, my kid's got a launch. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. My, um, my brother lives at home with my parents and he, he is more uh, severely impacted and has some other intellectual challenges. Um, But yeah, I mean, we're, we're fortunate in that we can afford his care and my sister and I will be, you know, working on that when they pass, but they have, they, we talked about, you know, having some independent services for him, but they like having him with them. And they, they, you know, we've talked about it and they're like, no, we, we want him to live with us. And they, you know, I think it keeps them younger by having to provide for him and having him basically having a child still in the house. They are still very active. And, and I mean, I know that can't go on forever, but I'm, so I'm familiar with that other scenario as well. And, and my husband and I, we do not want to be there. We, Partly because, you know, that's, again, like you said, not what we envisioned for for our second half of our life, but also for Chase. We know he is capable of so much more and and wants a more fulfilling life, just doesn't know how to get there. I will say this. We are just now really accessing services that... Uh, I was thinking about this earlier, Holly, and I said, you know, I, what comes to mind is is what is the definition of insanity? Kind of the same thing over and over again for years, expecting different results. But he's so capable, and and we're we're capable, and we can do this. And it just takes a little, you know. And clearly, nothing has really worked, or it's worked occasionally, but it hasn't stuck. And so now we're, we're trying something new and we're actually, you know, accessing services that, that he has probably been eligible all along. I will say this though, my husband has been hesitant to access some of these services because for example, he doesn't get SSI or anything like that, which he probably qualifies could be eligible for, qualifies for. My brother does, but, but 
Chase, we've not gone through that process yet. And I think because Greg thought and still thinks uh, to an extent that that somehow label Chase and puts put something in his file, so to speak, life file, that that then would never go away. So if someone, you know, if they're living arrangements or for, uh, you know, employment and all that, he didn't want to, and not only for others, but also for Chase, he didn't want Chase to think, well, I am not capable. I am, you know, I am going to rely on these services because I can't do it myself. And and because he because he does tend to, you know, take things and use them as a crutch when he shouldn't. And so we've been hesitant to really embrace that, not because we're, you know, not for any shame or embarrassment or anything like that, but just because we didn't ever want Chase to take that as, well, we don't believe in you or or that he would take it and think, well, I, I'm not capable, so I need this, and then just just uh, rely on that. And so we've we've been, you know, trying to do it on our own, so to speak, and and have realized that clearly that is not working, um, as he is currently unemployed and living in our basement. So we are now trying to finally maybe do something else. And I will say this too, though. It is different in each state because accessing the DVR services, I'm very thankful here in Washington, is much easier than it was in Texas because we tried that once in Texas when he was 18. And part of it may have been too because he was young and wasn't ready for that himself. But even to determine whether he was eligible for services, they were going to require him to come in and do like five or six hours of testing, all the same stuff he had been through countless number of times. And Chase flat out said, I'm not doing it. And, you know, at 18, I couldn't really say, yes, you are. I mean, he just said, I, I don't, I'm, I've done all that testing. My diagnosis hasn't changed. I'm not going to do that. And that was before even determining if he was eligible. And so we just said, that wasn't worth it. So here in Washington, it was so much easier because we filled out a few forms, signed some consent forms, said, here's here's the therapist, here's his psychiatrist, here's his pediatrician, here's his doctor, you know, here's where he was diagnosed and et cetera, et cetera. And then they went and took that information and confirmed it and, you know, got all all the information they needed and said, well, yes, you qualify. And um, he was put on a wait list May 1st, but then he's, he's off the wait list as of June 1st. So he's been assigned a counselor and he's got his first meeting over the phone with her on June 9th and they'll start the process. And he said, you know, he doesn't mind doing more after that, like figuring out what his interests are or where his strengths are, or where he needs some supports and things like that. He's like, I'm okay doing testing, so to speak, or try, figuring out that. But he said he didn't want to do it before you even know. I mean, to go through all that and then be told, sorry, we can't help you now, he said wasn't worth it. And I had to agree with that. So it, it's much better in Washington. And I'm thankful that we tried again here yeah. um, because I, I, I'm hoping it will be helpful. Because, and, and I'll tell you one other 
not to go on, but one other thing that that I'm hoping they will help us with that we have really struggled with is when he's in an interview for a job, does he tell them? Does he tell them he's on the spectrum? Does he tell them he might need accommodations? Does he tell them anything, you know, beyond what is, you know, required for the interview? And, you know, we just, we just don't, we don't know. And, and we've gone back and forth and it's, well, if you tell them and they are willing and they're like, great, no problem, we can handle that. Or, you know, we, we need a quota of people with disabilities or, you know, whatever, it could help him. And, and we've, we've recently taken the thought of, well, if it's going to be a problem when you're interviewing, it's probably going to be a problem when you're working the job. So we said, if, if they don't have a problem with it, when you're interviewing, then it, then it should be, that should be a, a, a good thing. And if they do have a problem with it, when you're interviewing, you probably don't want that job anyway, but it's hard. And it's, it's been difficult for Chase to work it in and to, to say, you know, come out and say, well, Hey, I'm, struggle with this and I struggle with that and I, I may need some, you know, accommodations. And he hasn't quite figured that out, how to, how to navigate that in a, an interview yet. And that's what I'm hoping this counselor can help him with and with some of the words he can use or how to address it, when to address it, whether to address it, and maybe even find some employers that are more, that are more willing and uh, accepting of you know, hiring people with disabilities. And so it's, it's, it's been, it, that's been a a tough one to kind of manage. And we clearly have not figured that out yet. Well, I, I know I'm hopeful with these DVR services. And that's a challenge because you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, I think when you're as to whether or not you disclose or don't disclose, you know, the reality of it is, is that statistics Mm -hmm. are telling us that, you know, while there is gender biases when it comes to like pay discrepancies and promotions, when it comes to genders, there is also biases when it comes to people with known disabilities being receiving those promotions and being paid the same rate as their neurotypical peers. And so there's an element of that where, you know, Chase is very capable and correct me if I'm wrong, academically, there was no deficits in terms of his academic performance where he struggled with just emotional regulation and um, social. Is that right, Vera? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So, ac- well, and, and academically, his struggle was with, with things that really shouldn't be an issue, but they are in school. His handwriting, right? He couldn't do a, a, a worksheet because you couldn't read it sure. and he couldn't write it in the little, you know, things like that, that now they're doing adaptive stuff, but, or like memorizing the times tables when he was younger, he just could not memorize them. Now he could answer any math problem. He, he could work it out and get the right answer. Yeah. He just couldn't do that like timed, you know, multiplication tables or whatever. And so it's, it's things that, that shouldn't have held him back. Yeah. That did because they didn't hold him back, but they caused him so much grief. Yeah. That was he was process. finally. Yeah. It was the process. It was the process. That he was like, it's uh, not the end result. I can get the end result. No. It's the process it's, to get there. Yes. And you want me to show you the process and I can just give you the end. And, and the expectations, the expectations of having to, you know, fit it in this little box and do it this way. Those got so frustrating to him. And then, of course, the social aspects were were so difficult. And I think his 
as his anxiety got worse, that just, it made it just so painful to even go. So yes, intellectually, academically, yes, he's, he's got it. It's just getting it from here onto paper was, was What's the challenge uh, difficult. Right. Yeah. I, I think that one of the most important things that really you see where the difference kind of lies in Harrison and Chase is Chase seems to know that there's a difference, that there's a struggle, that there's something there. Harrison doesn't really know. Everybody likes him. He likes what he likes. And, you know, we've just taught him to do what he needs to do in order to kind of go. There may be kids who, you know, really are occasionally he'll say somebody was mean or said something mean or that kind of stuff, but it doesn't affect him in the same way that it tends to affect um, people who are a bit higher functioning in, in that kind of, kind of setting. Like he doesn't, he doesn't really know, you know, once he's met somebody, if you were nice to him and he thinks you're nice, he's going to think you're nice forever. You know, I tend to apologize for his behavior more than anybody else because I'm like, you know, he's, he's that kind of stuff. The other thing that I wanted to share specifically another trick, so to speak, is even if, if your child has a developmental disability at one of the major nine that are on the IEP, even if you as a family are over income for social security, SSI benefits, or any of that for your kid, you want to make sure to apply before they're 18 because they won't deny them on basis of disability. They'll deny on basis of income. And once they're approved on basis of disability, but off of income, the day they turn 18, they become their own household. Therefore, they're eligible for SSI SSI cash benefits, which then come with medical and all of the other services. So a lot of people are like, oh, we're over income. It's like apply and get denied because at least you've now created that paper trail that says my kid is a person with a disability who was diagnosed before he was 18. Because one of the things that happen is the minute you turn 18 and you haven't applied, now you have to go back and get all the rest of that information. They're going to want to do testing. They're going to want to see. They're going to want to do all that. When you have it all done before the age of 18, they use everything from the school district to say your kid is eligible. So that's another little trick that's in there. And a lot of people are like, oh, it's a lot of paperwork. You do it all online now. And yes, you know, they'll be like, well, you you don't qualify. It's like, yep, I want you to finish the assessment and I want you to officially deny me because they'll deny on base of our family's income, not on the disability. And you need the disability paper trail. Yeah, that is definitely true. Um, Here's the question that I had for both of you guys is that, you know, I think hindsight is always really powerful because I think, you know, as a parent, you can go back and you can look at um, things that you would have done differently, you know, Farah, it struck me that, you know, one of the, you know, things that you're still struggling with and just kind of trying to come to terms with is, is that, you know, you don't want to do something that's going to label them or become somehow impact them long-term, but knowing now what you know, do you, would you go back and do things differently when Chase was younger? Would you have wanted him to stay in school? Are you happy with the decision that he did the GED and transaction transition earlier? Is there any like, you know, that knowledge, you know, from parents of if I could go back and do it over, here's what I learned. Well, there's so many things I would do (laughs) over. I can say that partly because 
I, I think a big part of that comes from Chase was not diagnosed with the Asperger's or autism part of it until he was 15. And so we already had, you know, sensory integration, ADHD, dysgraphia, you know, et cetera, et cetera, anxiety, blah, blah, blah. But but the the one that really made the most difference, I feel, was the the autism and not having that piece, piece of the puzzle, so to speak, um, not having that piece. We we made decisions that I would I would go back and change. For example, he went to so many different schools. And for someone who clearly uh, who struggles socially, that was not the best thing. Now, was it because we were moving him around? No. I mean, we moved from one house to another. So then we went to a different elementary school and then we did move him out of one into a private school because that just needed to happen. It was a great school. But then because of Greg's job, we moved across the country and he went to another school. And then because of his job, we moved back across the country and another school. And then so. So it was just kind of cumulative by the time we got to, you know, puberty and, and, you know, everything was going to, you know, where in a handbasket, he had been through so much and had so much, I don't want to say instability, but for a kid who struggles in school with bullying and social and even academics, moving from school to school, I think turned out to be much more detrimental to him than we could have ever realized. Uh, but again, we didn't know at the time. We didn't have that. We were trying to get the services we could. We were trying to, you know, we were going to therapists. We were seeing people. We were trying medication. You know, we were doing all that we could, but it never really all came together and and, and filled in that whole picture. So I think, I mean, it's not that I wish he... It's not that I wish he would diagnose sooner, but but I wish, well, kind of. I mean, we were taking him to see people and we were doing all that we should, but we just weren't getting to the heart of the matter. So I feel like I, rather than just listening to the people that were, we were taking him to, once I read a book, oh my gosh. I mean, I read a book about autism and I didn't know that much about it shockingly, considering my brother and my degree is in psychology, but that's a whole other thing. But once I picked up a book, it was like, check, 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 check. And I think had I known any of that, had I even thought I would have pushed harder on the people he was being diagnosed by, or not diagnosed, the, the people who were seeing him. And I would have asked more questions. I would have um, not said, are you sure? But I don't know. I I just feel like had I had more information and just not just relied on what they were telling me, because I know my child the best, but, but you also, when you see a specialist and they tell you this, you're like, okay, you must know what you're talking about. Yeah. And unfortunately the specialists look for what they're a specialist in. Yeah. And that's what they find. And so we were not going to the right people. And, and then by the time we got that information, it was kind of, I don't want to say it was too late, but he, he had been so affected and it, would, it was so difficult. And that's when he ended up, you know, we made decisions for him to go to wilderness and then to a residential school in Utah. And again, I don't think I would have made those decisions 
Um, I, I, I regret some of those decisions too, just because we didn't know. And we were kind of just, I feel like we were being given advice that, that I should have questioned mm-hmm. a little bit more. Yeah. And so, and, and, you know, so he, he ended up where he did and, and, you know, it's fine, but I think had we made different decisions and gotten him better services and had the information earlier, we would have made, we would have made different choices and maybe he would have stayed in school longer and maybe he would have, you know, found something that, that worked for him. But so now we're trying to piece it together and But he's only 23. Right. He is. And Still he is so only much time. But, but at the same time, he's also not been doing much for the last probably five years, right? So it seems like a long time that that not much has changed. Sure. And so I, at, at this point, we're kind of like, okay, we've got to, because he's not happy either. I was going to say, it, it's like my brother is is very much like your son in that he's happy. He doesn't know what he's missing. He is a happy adult now he's 47 but he's always been very happy he doesn't miss what he he doesn't miss what he doesn't know chase is not happy he wants to have a relationship he wants to date he wants to have a job he wants to live independently he wants to have all those things but but is frustrated by not knowing, not only not knowing, but not feeling capable of doing it and not necessarily feeling motivated some days to, to do what it needs to get there. And, and that's where, where we really struggle is the question of, is this a matter of motivation or ability? Is this a matter of effort or knowledge? And, and how do we bring all that together to help him be successful and happy and find that, that, that sweet spot where he is, you know, I don't want to say living his best life, but you know, where he's at least, he finds his success, where he's content, where he, where he can be content. We're not saying you have to live life to its fullest and, you know, be the best you can be. You know, that's, that's a lot to ask. We just want him to be content and find, find a way to be as, as happy as he can. And we're struggling with that. And not to mention, as you said, we don't necessarily, we, we didn't imagine, even though my brother lives with my parents, we didn't imagine Chase living with us forever. Yeah. And we have seen how, you know, he is now 23 and it has been five years and only six months of that was in an apartment. And it was because we kind of, suggested it made him do it and paid for it and it was a good it was a good uh experiment so to speak and we think he he can definitely get back to that but we know if we don't push it uh you know we don't know if it'll ever happen mm-hmm. so that's kind of where we are what about you Darian? do you if you were looking back would you have any advice for parents like if you is there anything that you would do differently i personally think that you did a phenomenal job because you did pave the way and and things did change and also you are very vocal about educating young families about what to be aware of and how to ask for things so that you get what you need. Um, but is there anything, any gems that you, anything you would go back and do differently as a parent or anything that you feel strongly that parents listening should need to know? You know, um, 
I think in the midst of the fight, there were days where there were people who were like, is it really worth it? Is it really worth the fight? Is this the hill you're really willing to die on? You know, I think that uh, that for us and for me, especially, you know, I fired special educators. I, I was like, you're, you know, my kid and you, you don't work well together. And so therefore pull him out of that class. You know, I refuse to work with this case manager anymore. You know, the, there are things where I think parents feel stuck and, and you know what, uh, I, I kind of looked at it as a business in, in that aspect. If if we're a customer receiving a service that's being paid for, then what do we need and how do we go there? And and so that that helped a little bit. I think that the the gem that really comes. So there are two things. I don't know that I would really change anything that that we have done. I think that we're where we are successfully because of you know the un. Uh, I had the ability to stay home and the skills in order to push a system to make it change. And a personality that, you know, I, I can I can be emotional and yet articulate in and getting my point across. So even in the midst of me being irrational and Harrison's mom, I could step out and be Jerry Ann, a professional who says, this is the way the rules are supposed to go. And therefore you've missed this step. <laughs> now go back and fix it. We did a lot of things. I think that um, one of our successes comes from is we didn't look for school to be the only thing that met Harrison's needs all the way around. So when he was little, I wanted a kid who played, you know, baseball. So of course we did little league until it wasn't good for him to be part of little league because, you know, he wasn't good at it. And the other parents and the other boys, once it became that competitive level where it was just not appropriate, we did scouts. I, I am a hot, as much as there are lots of things, I, I think that kids need something out there that they're doing, that they're learning from other people. We're with them all the time. So scouts for us was a huge issue, a huge thing. It was something that other boys and their dads were doing. It was learning from other boys. So learning how to properly do things. I use the example all the time. My son can shoot BB guns. He can shoot regular guns. He can do all of that. If my kid were at somebody's house and walked in the door and found a gun laying on the floor or unearthed it somewhere, he's not going to pick it up and play with it or think it's a toy or a video game kind of anything because in scouts, he learned how to use that properly. And he, he knows that it's not appropriate anywhere, but a gun range, you know, it, it's those kinds of pieces. So I would encourage families, while it's really difficult, it is it is difficult when you feel like your kid sticks out. It's like, why can't my kid just do what all the other kids do? Why is my kid always running? Why is the leader always talking to me? The reason Harrison's successful is we didn't put all our apples in school. We put apples in our faith community. We put apples in community organizations like Little League and Buddy Ball. We took Harrison out. We were part of shock when the shock were very young. He knows people. We've, we've gone to baseball because baseball is a thing. And he knows, you know, the people, not, not only just the people who are always buying baseball teams, Tickets, but he knows the owners and, you know, the administrator people at the baseball places, all of those kinds of things. And and so if I 
I had one thing to probably do sooner. I I was the parent who never wanted to participate in disability only sports or disability only groups. And, and that was my piece that came with that. I had to get over myself when my kid was about 12 because he really wanted to play buddy ball with other kids. And I can honestly tell you, he, it it was the highlight of his week going to practice, visiting and doing. And then once we joined special Olympics and he was doing those kinds of things and the joy that came with that. But the reason we didn't do those things was my hang up, not his. And that, and um, so, you know, I think it's honest to share that, you know, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't plan on having a child with a disability and I really didn't want to, you know, I, I struggled with the, everybody's a winner. Everybody gets rewarded for everything because life isn't like that. You know, I, I tell people all the time, you know, special ed isn't, isn't in the real world. It ends at the schoolhouse door the day that you are 18 graduated from high school or whatever. There's no special ed life. You know, yes, you want us to help your kids assimilate to having the world understand that they're different and all of that kind of stuff. You know what? They're one kid in the variety of a whole bunch of people. The store clerk who's making change, if they're having a bad day, they're not going to care. They really aren't going to care. The supervisor, the boss is looking for a job to be completed and done. And that they're they're not going to care, you know, that they're going to accommodate until it's like, wait, you know, I, I, I only want to work from this time to this time to this. I mean, there, there are laws around what an appropriate accommodation is in the workplace, in, in an apartment, in a house, all those kind of things. So you can ask for the moon. And maybe you'll get an uneducated employer who will kind of be like, oh, I'm never going to hire somebody like that again, or a landlord who will change those things. Or you'll run into an employer who says, I'm really sorry. I, you know, the accommodations that I can do are these because this is what it says in the law that I am required to accommodate for. And then, you know, you get advocacy groups and people who are upset because they won't go more. And it, you know, I think we have to realize that, you know, everybody has to live together. You know, Harrison knows, you know, you, you're going to wait in line. You know, we can accommodate things. You know, we can ask for an accommodation and they can say no, you know, or they can say, you know what, we can't do that that way, but we can maybe help this way. The other is we never asked for an accommodation before we tried ourselves. So if, if a 10-year-old could do it, we asked Harrison to try to do it when he was 10. And if he couldn't do it, then we accommodated. We never started off with an accommodation, never. And that, so if the kids were learning how to tie knots, they learned to tie knots and he fussed with it and fussed with it and fussed with it until he got frustrated. And then we took a break and then somebody would come back and work with him in an accommodated way or that kind of stuff, you know, kind of start the knot first and then help him because fine motor for him is a huge issue. So, so I guess that that's the other piece too. I I don't know that I necessarily would change anything. I, I think, you know, you just get on a path and you go with it. Yeah. I think what you said was very powerful though, is, is that there's a lot of things that with like Caleb and even with Isaac, when he was, you know, still with us, that they were my hangups and I had to check myself. Like I had to check my expectations. It's like, 
with Isaac, you know, there was a point in time where it was just like, you know what, I can't continue to try and, and, and mold him into being a neurotypical child because he is not. And so it doesn't matter how many like neurotypical activities that I signed him up for and were a disaster wasn't going to do him any favors um, because it just was not realistic with Caleb, where I've had to check myself is, is that I go in there, you know, like just, you know, ready to have to, you know, letting him like, do his thing, but being there, being too prepared to have to go in there and do explanations and then come to find out it's, Hey, we don't need all this explanation because we got this. And so it's kind of like, um, you know, again, Caleb can't use autism as an excuse. He did try it actually once at school that he was trying to use. I, sorry, can't do that. I have autism. And I was just like, Oh, hold on a second. And so Caleb very much understands that, you know, autism doesn't mean that he's not capable. It means that sometimes he has to work harder to figure it out or he has to, you know, like it might, it, he has to work harder. It may take longer and he may need an accommodation, but in the end, our hope is, is that we might have to use an accommodation in the beginning, but then we no longer need it. The biggest thing that I've learned is it's self-confidence. If Caleb can maintain a positive self-esteem through school, then that actually does a lot to combat so many other things. And so for me, it's making sure that he sees himself and his autism as something that makes him differently abled, not disabled. We may have to, you know, look at something different in order to get it accomplished. And that's okay because a lot of people have to do that. That doesn't make us less than it just means that, you know, everyone is unique and has individual differences. And so we really stress the individual differences of everybody. Um, it's no different whether you have green eyes or brown eyes. And some of our friends need more accommodations and more supports, you know, um, obviously my husband's son Cooper needs a lot of supports. And so that's the thing, individual differences, everybody is on a different plane and just needs different things at different times. And so Caleb learned very quickly that autism could not, and would not be used as an excuse to not do things, but, you know, just even the transition to middle school, it was, I went in there very bristly because it's just middle school is really hard. I don't know of any kid that has looked back or even an adult looking back on middle school and saying that was awesome. And so I just was really just preemptively defensive and on guard about everything about the entire transition and what was going to happen in his day and, and his electives. And the reality of it is, is that Caleb figured it out on his own. So while I was like super fuming about the fact that Caleb wasn't going to be offered the same number of electives as his neurotypical peers, because he's special ed and he needed to have a cap class so that he could stay caught up in his gen ed classes that just chapped my hide going into it. And here's where I had to check myself is, is that next year we're getting right. We have to pick our classes and Caleb's like, well, you can't get rid of my cat class. Like that's my easiest A. Like that's easy. I just go in there and I don't have to work very hard. Like I get, they, you know, help me do all my stuff. He's like, why would you want that to go away? And it's like, well, don't you want to elect it like a different elective? So you can explore. I can do that outside of school. Like I just rather have an easy class. And then it was just kind of like, Okay, totally neurotypical because what kid wants to work harder than they have to, right? Even if it is playing with robots, but it's graded. At the end of the day, it's like, well, if, do I get graded with working with the robots? Yeah, you do. Like, yeah, you're going to have assignments and deadlines and homework. And he was like, yeah, I just want cap class. I don't want to have to work any harder. And so again, I have to check myself. Um, so I really appreciate you saying that because that is one of those things too where I've had to put myself in check because I'm what I'm advocating for isn't necessarily what Caleb needs. It's that I'm, you know, fighting a bigger fight. You know what I mean? How just making everything equitable and fair. And I have, I, I also very much tell Caleb life's not fair. 
you know, like get, get over it. Like just because you have autism, life's not fair. Life's not fair for your sister that has to put up with the fact that you only like going to five restaurants and you know what I mean? Life is just not fair. And the fact, the faster we acknowledge it and just snuggle with that and get comfortable with it, like the better off we're all going to be. So I was just going to say one, one, one last quick thing that we all hear all the time. And that to me, I feel like it gets more and more important as they get older is when, when, when we're struggling with something and something and, and, and outside people will say, we'll just make him, we'll just make him do this. We'll just make him do that. My feeling has always been, and, and particularly as he's gotten older is there is not going to be someone there who is going to make him do things all the time for the rest of his life. And and there is a time, yes, there's an appropriate time when they're younger that you can make children do whatever. But as he's gotten older, I can't make him get a job. I can't make him do this, make him do that. I can disincentivize him, you know, or, or, or you know, the whole rewards punishment thing. But I always have felt that he needs to buy into it. He needs to see the importance of what he's doing. And he needs to feel, you know, it's the whole kind of natural consequences. He needs to feel the, feel the benefit of it or feel the pain of not doing it or whatever it is, but, but he has to be the one willing to do it. And I really feel like that has come into play so much more, particularly when they hit 18. And unless you have guardianship, you can't technically make them do anything. I mean, financially, yes, you can, you know, take, you can take away their financial support or whatever, but that, that seems to be something that comes up again and again. And, and I think as they become technically adults, when they hit 18, there's no making anything. You can hold the purse strings over them, but other than that, it's difficult. So as he was growing, I really tried to say, you know, have him find the the a reason and a motivation to do the things I needed him to do that he would recognize, oh, if I do this, I get this. Or if I don't do this, this is going to really be a bummer. And so that is one other thing I would say just to parents with younger children, this whole making them do this or the punishment rewards, that kind of thing, it, it is going to run out. You're going to run out of time at 18. And then it's going to be like, well, it's whatever they want. Um, and they have to be willing to get on board and, and, and find that, that reasoning too. So anyway, that was just a, just an aside that I thought that, cause I keep hearing it over and over again, we'll just make him get a job. We'll just make him get a job. And to that, I want to say, well, is anyone making you do anything? Yeah, that's so true. And Jerry, I'm said than done. Yeah. Jerry, <laughs> Sorry. You are like the fact that Harrison is so motivated by money and like having a job, I think is like, woohoo, party, party, party. Cause he is really motivated by that, which is fantastic. However, there, there are the drawbacks that go with that. Like he applied to work at Riverfront Park. You know, the, the things that he wants to work at are things that he definitely is going to need help with. Like he wants to run the gondola and he wants to run the carousel and, and those kind of things, you know, and is he ready for that? I don't know, but you know what? We filled out an application online. So, you know, if he makes it through that, then that's great. I think that the other thing that's probably as we kind of wrap up and everything, the other thing to remember and to share with parents are that we're important for each other because it's very, 
it's very easy to feel like you are the only person in the world who has to deal with the chaos that comes with having a person with a disability in your life who who is constantly needing your help and support in order to kind of continue to live successfully. And as I was doing my DDA stuff and kind of now that my kid is 18 and all of that kind of stuff, I I really was kind of in that pace where it was kind of like, what, what do I need in order to be happy, successful, you know? So, so those adult relationships as our kids grow and learn and change and their needs change and their, um, their interests change and we have a little more freedom to be able to support them being being part of other things. It's okay to realize that we need each other. Mom's nights, dad's nights, even family activities where in the future I, or in the past, I would have shied away of, you know, going, you know, taking a, going on an event where it was all just families with kids with autism or all just, you know, those kind of things. And it's scary. And in, in some ways, the, the flip side to that is helpful too, because if your kid has a meltdown, at least the mom sitting next to you is like, yep, did that last week. We're good. You know, they, they aren't judging you as a parent and that, and that's really helpful. And I think that sometimes we forget, we forget that, that we need the care too. Yeah. And that, and that, that friendship, you know, it, it isn't a competition. And, and unfortunately, I guess that that's one of the things that I, I am feeling like, you know, there are a lot of people who look at Harrison and are like, she must've had enough money, you know, look at what she's got, look at what they've did. I did a lot of stuff by just fighting and asking and just being, you know, uh, unwilling to accept this is just what we do. And that, and you know, it's like, well, or my kid isn't, isn't as functioning. You know, people look at Harrison, they're like, wow, you know, he talks and he's social and he's all of those things. You know what? We still deal with, you know, hygiene and dressing and all of those things. You know, there are things in, in my life and with Harrison and his disability and uh, that I would gladly change, you know, so you know, some of us deal with, you know, eating issues. Some of us deal with, you know, clothing and texture. And some of us still as adults deal with poop. <laughs> yes. And, you know, honestly, you know, everybody, there's always something going on and, yeah. and we do need yeah. each other. And it, you know, it may look great on the outside, you know, cause we're good at that. You know, we're only going to show the best foot forward when you do the assessments for for services, when you do a DDA assessment, when you do an employment assessment, when you do that, that's when you tell them the truth on the bad day. You tell them the truth the day that you want to just sit on the stairs and cry because your kid should be able to button their the button their pants should be able to wipe their nose realize when they you know have food all over their face and you know shouldn't be letting the dog out the front door you know it and and it's not a reflection on you as a parent yeah that's true it really isn't yeah and that and so so you know we need each other and we also need to just realize that to share share the icky stuff with the people who can get us the things that we need and that without sugarcoating things. 
Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for joining me for this podcast. I hope it is helpful for those that are listening. And as always, if you're listening to this and you're having more questions, I know that Jerry Ann has always been more than happy to talk to families and help them navigate. Vera, I have even referred families to you to just kind of help navigate or just give a certain perspective. So if you are a parent listening and want to reach out to these amazing women, just let us know and we will get you guys in contact. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode of Isaac's Autism Wild podcast. And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe. And just remember, we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.